Hello, everybody. Welcome to the People's Cup. I'm going to be your host again. My name is Ray Garza, and I am joined here by a really cool friend of mine. Her name is Kate Calhoun. Um, and yeah, Kate, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Kate Calhoun, sometimes referred to as Neometa by Ray. <laughs> that was an accident. Sorry, Cody. Please don't hate me. <laughs> My name's not legally changed, so technically it's Neometa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Kate, how old are you? And kind of just give yourself, yeah. describe yourself a little bit. Um, I'm 27. Nice. Uh, Cody and I live in Seattle, Washington, and we love it. Okay. Um, we lived here in Albuquerque. He's he grew up here, but I lived here for three years. Did Young Life, and then about a year ago, we moved up to Seattle, and okay. it's been cool. incredible. So you're not from Albuquerque, right? You're from I'm from Michigan. Michigan. What part mm-hmm. of Michigan? Metro Detroit. Okay. Oh, wow. Wait. So where do you? I think you lived in a pretty cool place. So where do you live before Seattle? Oh, um, Michigan. <laughs> I thought uh, you lived in a different country yeah, for a little Guatemala. bit. Yeah, Guatemala. Okay, that's what it was. <laughs> Las Vegas, Nevada, which is also more culture shock. I think those are Guatemala. pretty cool places. Las Vegas? Sick. I don't know. I mean, I've only lived in Albuquerque, and you're like Michigan, Guatemala, okay. Vegas, yeah. Seattle. You're way more you're, culture you're, than I am. You're so right. I am. <laughs> so, Kate, what do, you, uh, what do you do for a living up there in Seattle? Yeah, I work for an organization called One Million Home. Okay. And One Million Home does something called family reintegration. And so in case you didn't know, which I didn't until I started working for One Million Home, Mm -hmm. that 80% of quote unquote orphans aren't actually orphans. They have at least one biological living parent. Okay. And so what One Million Home does is we work to equip and train and educate practitioners, orphanages, and organizations to change their model of care from orphan care to reintegrate those kids back to biological living family. That's sweet. Yeah. How do you like it? Oh, it's incredible. It blows my mind every day. Yeah. I think it will blow my mind too. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, it's also hard because I have to change my way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So I spent so many years thinking that there were 153 million orphans in the world and to find out that's actually not true. Yeah, it's really humbling and a little embarrassing, actually. Wow. Yeah, but it's hey, good. That is good. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing. Um, so, Kate, what do you what do you do for fun? What do you like to do for fun? Oh, um, for fun. For fun. Living in Seattle, there's a lot to do for fun, actually. Yeah, what do you like yeah. to do? Um, I eat a lot of sushi, honestly. <laughs> we really I, like I will, happy hour. I probably would, too. <laughs> there's a lot of happy hour sushi places okay. in Seattle. <laughs> so, girls' nights, wine, and sushi. Like, what more could you want? Yeah, that sounds I know. sick. Yeah, Seattle's really cool. Um, tons of places to explore. I yeah. bet. Yeah, we like to um, use our friends' Seahawks tickets. So we go to Seahawks games, but they're not our tickets; they're our friends. Oh. They're really expensive. So we <laughs> go <to> Seahawks <laughs> games. Don't know anything about football, but I feel bougie when I'm there. So that's all that matters. Yeah, the Se- the Seahawks yeah. stadium is Fake cool. it till you make it. You know, make it till you make it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go join you guys on girls' yeah, yeah, yeah. night come, come, in come. Seattle. Oh my, one of you, these days. you absolutely would love it. I think I would. I think a, you're just right. a table of empowered women drinking <laughs> wine and talking about things that matter. I think that sounds like <laughs> yeah. a great time. I know you're invited. I'll be there one of these yeah. days. So Kate, uh, on the people's cup, as you know, we always, uh, you know, the listeners know whatever that we drink what the people want to drink. So on this beautiful Saturday afternoon, what are we drinking on the people's cup today? A Moscow mule, a Moscow mule. 
So guys, I'm not a bartender by any shape, weird form. I looked up how to make a Moscow meal on the internet and I made it five minutes ago. So how does it taste? It's actually really good. Is it really good? Or are you just saying that because trying to be nice I, to me? Like I just, it's, it's ginger beer and vodka. Ginger beer and vodka. So I guess you can't go yeah, wrong. I'm, I'm digging it. It's good. Okay. I'm, You're I not. think I like okay. it. Maybe possibly. I also woke up an hour ago. If you have a couple more, it's bound to taste good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. eventually, yeah. It'll, some, eventually stuff will taste good if you yeah. drink it long yeah. enough. You're so right. You're so right. Josh Perez would agree too. Josh Perez would agree too. Um, okay. So kind of going into the context a little bit, what this episode is. Um, so what is white saviorism? So I'm going to read the definition I got per Wikipedia. I know my college professors would say this is not a scholarly resource, but fuck off. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> I use Wikipedia every day. I know me too. I think, I mean, why not? So yeah. Um, you know, what's really funny about Wikipedia is they're asking for money for donations. I see that all the time. And I donate money like all the time. Not all the time. That was okay. a lie. But I donate money. I donate money to Wikipedia and Quizlet simply because they got me through school. So I'm like, you know what? I yeah. can spare some change to help. Thank yes. you for my degree. Because of this, I now make enough money to support you, Wikipedia. Yeah. I'm so, here because of you. Thank you. Yeah. Wikipedia. You're the real MVP. But please sponsor this podcast, Wikipedia. <laughs> So anyways, back to the, the white saviorism, uh, per wiki, the term white savior is sometimes combined with the savior complex, the right white savior complex refers to a white person who acts to help non-white people with the help in some context perceived to be self-serving. The role is considered a modern day version of what is expressed in the poem, the white man's burden in 1899 by Rudyard Kipling. If I butcher that, I apologize, I apologize, Rudyard. Um, the turn has been associated with Africa. I don't Africa. think he's here with us anymore. It's okay. <laughs> I just don't want him to haunt me. <laughs> and certain characters in film and television have been critiqued as well, savior, white savior figures. So this episode is called Unpacking White Saviorism with emphasis on why white and Western society desires to help can do more harm, more harm than good. Sweet. And we're back. Thanks for the little break there. Um, so, Kate, why is white saviorism bad? If you don't mind yeah. me asking. Yeah, white saviorism is this concept that I honestly didn't start learning about until I started working for One Million Home. And um, to be honest, as we go on to this podcast and sure. talk about white saviorism, I'm by no means an expert. Yeah, neither am and, I. And when I look back and listen to this podcast, I might hear things I say and be like, Kate, what were you thinking? So I'm just like in a state of learning and growth, just like all yeah, of us. Of so course. I think yeah. 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 We're, so, not, we're not a scholarly no, podcast in AJ where I want to be so bad and I'm going to work for that one day, but we just want to um, have a conversation. Yeah. yeah so. Right. So what I've learned white saviorism to be as what I'd like to call myself a recovering white savior oh, wow. is um, this idea that white people because of who we are and our privilege, mm -hmm. we can go off and help people. But we have this underlining, self-serving, self-righteous, I want to go find myself yeah. need in us as we go out to help people. And um, when you unpack white saviorism, you can't do it without facing some really ugly parts of history. Of course. Like colonialism. And then you have neocolonialism. Then you just have this dangerous, gross, icky, corrupt world of development, which I mean, I'll tack on like developments 
done some really great things, but it's also done some really ugly things and trapped people into poverty and with white saviorism, you can't really talk about it without talking about the evangelical Christian church in America. And it's just a really hard thing. And, um, when you're talking about white saviorism with people, you find two different responses. Either people are like, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Or they find themselves a little bit offended and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you approach this idea of white saviorism, it's kind of awkward. Yeah, it really is awkward because you're telling people who have really good intentions. Hey, you're actually causing more harm than good. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was kind of deep. Yeah. Wow. I mean, here we are. Let's go. (laughs) Moscow Mule. I don't. Yeah. Here. Do it. I'm never going to just skim the surface. Let's just dive in. Okay. Sounds good. You know? So when we were talking a couple weeks ago about a couple weeks ago about this episode, um, you said your knowledge is in kids being separated from their parents and kind of the orphanage adoption corruption system. How does white saviorism play a role in that? Yeah. So. Let me, I'm going to talk about my own experience. I'm going to give an example from my own experience as someone who capitalized unintentionally. I had, I had good intentions. Mm -hmm. I capitalized on the idea of white saviorism without even knowing I was doing it through many experiences that I've gotten to have in that I've chosen. I've gotten to go and quote unquote serve or minister at an orphanage or a school or boarding school in the Dominican Republic or in Guatemala. And in those experiences, I, I went on them knowing that I was going to gain some sort of positive response from people. Okay. As I was preparing to go, everyone was telling me, Kate, you're doing such good work. You're, you're going out and you're saving the orphans. If I had a dollar for how many times people told me that on my 10 day mission trip as an 18 year old to the Dominican Republic, that I was saving the orphans. I'd, I wouldn't have student debt. So wow. <laughs> Every, yeah, it's just, you go, everyone's like, you're, you're doing such good, righteous work. Yeah. And so I'd go on these trips. I'd go work at this orphanage or this school for X amount of time, come back to my normal life and not realize that that 10 day trip that I went to go find myself and that I got all this attention for actually was buying into this cycle of unhealthy development work and um, unhealthy foreign care for others. And I want to say that lightly because there's a lot of people doing really, really good work and who are in those countries across borders doing excellent work within organizations and they're doing really well. Um, but there are just some that aren't doing well. And, um, I lived thinking for a very long time that there was this massive orphan crisis across the world with 153 million orphans. Mm -hmm. And you, I mean, look at us right now in the United States, like you flip on the TV and an organization is going to pop up with this starving kid that you see on the TV, which is going to invoke emotion from you. Yeah. And it's going to say for $30 a month, you can sponsor a kid. You're going to sponsor this orphan separated from his, his family's dead, whatever mm-hmm. the example might be. And then you say, wow, I'm called to give towards this kid. You donate $30 a month and you get a picture of this Kenyan kid that you slap on your fridge and you're doing good work. So I, I believed for a really long time that there's 153 million orphans just in the world. Mm-hmm. And then through a course of events, I got this job with 1 million home 
And when I walked into this job, I had no idea what I was walking into, had no idea what reintegration work was. And as I'm starting to work with One Million Home, I'm finding out that 153 million orphans, actually 80% of them have at least one living parent, which I mentioned before. And um, a lot of them are separated from family from a very corrupt system of institutionalization. And I say that knowing that there are some organizations that are not corrupt. There are a lot of them doing really great work, but there are some that make money and profit off of having a kid in an institution. And so what we're finding when we're doing work primarily in Africa is that organizations will say to a family who's living out in a rural community, hey, I can provide your child with food, water, schooling, a place to live. They just have to leave your family and come live with us at the institution. And so this kid, these parents are like, yes, I want my child to have food, water, a place to live. They send the child to this orphanage. They don't see the child. And this kid is living in an orphanage with, let's say, 300 other kids. If you know anything about a kid growing up, one of the two primary things a kid, and as a nurse, you would know this, Mm -hmm. a child needs nurturing and attachment to thrive. Of course. And so you have a kid in an orphanage with three other kids not getting any attention. Where is the attachment? Where is the nurture? They're growing up in this orphanage and some family or some person or some corporation or business in the United States is paying $30 a month for a sponsorship program for this kid. So this orphanage is benefiting and profiting off of the child living in the orphanage. And we see that time after time after time. And that's causing this fake orphan crisis. Wow. Yeah. Shoot. And that's just one example of this orphan crisis that really doesn't exist. There's a million different scenarios, which puts kids in institutions. Oh my gosh. That's insane. Mm -hmm. See, I think when we were, when we, when I asked Kate to be on the, the the people's cup, um, she was telling me what they wanted to be on. And I'm kind of all for to talk about people are passionate about, but I like, honestly had no idea what this really was. And I kind of looked at the term and I'm like, wait a minute. I totally get like going up and helping to serve. I know a lot of people who do, especially I think people who are close friends of ours who went and served overseas or in different countries, which is, I thought was awesome. I think, I, th- I think it still is awesome, but I think hitting on what you're talking about is very interesting because you see those commercials every day. I think yeah. like I've seen commercial maybe once this past week for sure. Like you're like, damn, I can't afford to send, spend that money. And then yeah, just know it's for profit or yeah. somewhat. Yeah. It, so what we're finding is so here I'll tell you a story. Okay. Um, I don't recall the name of the woman who this story is about because it's turned into this massive legal case. Okay. And so they, she, her name just got removed off of, of so many different things. So what happened, this happened this past year over the summer. So okay. I was in Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia. And while I was over there, this case broke out in Uganda about this story of adoption. Mm -hmm. And I want to premise by saying adoption is good. I am pro adoption. Adoption is beautiful. It's incredible. And I plan to adopt one day. Of course. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think as a person, and especially if you're part of the Christian community and part of the church, you're called to adopt responsibly. Mm -hmm. You need to do things ethically and you need to do your research. Of course. Yeah. And so what happened was this woman was really high up in this multi-level level marketing mm-hmm. company that sold essential oils. I won't say the name, but you're probably thinking of two. <laughs> so she was in this 
essential oil company and made her way on social media and was quite popular on social media and had a lot of followers. So she posted a picture of her Ugandan son, who I think was about 11. And she posted a picture of him with his arms crossed. And she said, look at my ghetto, fabulous son. Oh my god! I'm going to back up and say, first off, she's white. And she's also in Louisiana. Yeah. And she takes a picture of her 11 year old son says, check out my ghetto, fabulous son, which is unbelievably inappropriate. And I'm just going to just throw this in. If you're white, stop saying things are ghetto. Mm -hmm. Like, don't like think about what you're saying. Anyways, then on the next slide of her Instagram story, she said, I adopted this child from a Ugandan slum. Wow. And so people started getting a hold of this story because of her really popular social media following. And it started getting passed around the internet. And everyone's like, what is this racist woman do? Because it's racist. Yeah. And um, the the organization No White Saviors got a hold of it Mm. and put this woman on blast, rightfully so. And it's a Ugandan-based organization. And so turns out through a series of of, of events, and not only promoting the story on on the internet, it turns out this woman and her family adopted this child knowing he had two living parents through a series of corruption turns out that paperwork and the adoption process through this adoption agency said that the child was orphaned because both of his parents were dead Mm. and the parents, the adoptive parents were saying that the parents are dead. We, we saved this child from Uganda. And then all this, this other news and facts started coming out that the adoptive parents knew very well that this Ugandan child had two living biological parents. Okay. And the biological living parents were told that their son was going to go to boarding school and they were going to see him every three years. But actually he was put through the international adoption system and adopted by this family and never went back to Uganda. Wow. The biological parents never saw their kid every three years. And they thought he was at boarding school when very well this family knew that they were internationally adopting this son, this boy. Wow. And so that's just a story yeah. of this just is- cor- corrupt international adoption not done well. Yeah. And corrupt orphanages and kids being trapped in systems of institutions because an orphanage, an adoption agency can, I mean, an international adoption is what on average, let's say 70 grand total. Wow. How much money? That is so much money. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you, you can make a profit off of that child kids in orphanages and sending them off to live with families when they're 11 years old. Yeah. It bums me out, man. Yeah, it really does. Um, you know, speaking like on the night, the, the, uh, no white saviors organization, um, I'm kind of going to go on a little, like a tidbit here. Um, so bear with me listeners, uh, Olivia Lasso. Also, again, if I butcher the name, I apologize was one of the founders of MWS, which is No White Saviors, which is an organization that tries to decolonize missions and development work. She stated in an interview with the BBC News saying, if you can't try treating, treating a child in the U.S. or in the U.K., please don't try treating a child in Africa. I promise you I'm getting, the, I'm getting to the question, guys. Just bear with me. So per the NPR, 10 years ago, Renee Batchbach left her home in Virginia to set a charity to help children in Uganda. One of her first moves was to start a blog chronicling her experiences. 
among the most momentous on a Sunday morning in October 2011. A couple from a village some distant away showed up at the back center carrying a small bundle. Carrying a small bundle. Um, when I pulled the covering back, my eyes widened and back row in the blog. For under the blanket laid a small, but very, very swollen, pale baby girl. Her breaths were frightening slow. The baby's name is Patricia. Patricia, she is nine months old. Back went on to write that Patricia had fallen sick three weeks earlier, but her parents had been unable to find anyone closer to home who could cure her or treat her. Then Robach, one of the relatives, told him about a hospital with a, I'm doing the little quotations, quotations <laughs> bunny ears things, with the white doctor. Except um, this girl, uh, Botch, back, whatever, was not a doctor. She was a 20-year-old, 20-year-old high school graduate with no medical training, and not one was at her center, not a hospital. At the time, it didn't employ a single doctor. Yeah, from 2010 through 2015, Batch says she took in 940 severely malnourished children. And out of that 940, uh, as we know, um, accounted for 105 of them died. Now Batch is being sued in Ugandan civil court for this issue. So why do you think people feel the need to do something like this? Oh, yeah. Renee Bach. Ugh, that story makes me so sick. When I first yeah, heard I, it, I bawled my eyes out. And when I sent it to you, I'm like, as a nurse, yeah, when I, this better get you pissed. When I looked up, I was like, what the hell? I mean, like, kind of sitting here, like, in my medical background, like, yeah, guys, I'm not sure if you know, like, I'm a nurse and I work on, like, a step down, step down ICU. So a lot of these, a lot of these kids who came in with these problems, we, I've seen a lot, you know, pneumonia, intensive parasites, um, not necessarily tuberculosis, but I know what it is. And many were in stage four HIV. So in my like medical background, even with the right modern medical training that we have today down the street at the hospital that I work at, these problems can be fatal 110%. So I can't even imagine how someone would so ignorant <laughs> to think where they were capable of doing this with no education yeah. No resources or training. It's like, it's literally appalling to me. Okay. I heard a story about Renee, um, not even a story, an account because it happened Yeah, about how she, I'm not, I shouldn't, I'm not even, I'm just laughing at how stupid it is. She gave her with no medical trace, CPR and first aid. That's all she had. She with CPR and first aid gave a blood transfusion to a child oh. with the wrong <laughs> blood type, with the wrong blood type. Mm. Yes. There's like, there's literally like systems built in my hospital that I work at. When we do, when we give blood, it's like, we hate giving blood because it's such a crucial process. Cause it's like, you have to make sure that this blood and this patient are compatible or stuff goes really bad really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you can relate as someone who's not only a medical professional, <laughs> I'm going to read that one more time. You are a medical professional. Thank you. Renee Bach is not. Yeah. And someone who's, who identifies as a Christian, for someone to say, God called me to Uganda to open up a hospital and I miraculously could heal people and then killed them. Just like, that's so embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, like I'm all for like, like if you, if you hear calling from God go for it a hundred and ten. Like I, I, I believe that firmly, but like. I I don't think they sent you to fucking treat these kids with no medical training whatsoever. At 20 years yeah. old, 20 year old Kate, I, I don't even think I, I couldn't even drive a car effectively. I'm like, like, I'm like literally, you know, even if I went right now with all the training I have, I couldn't do shit. I like, 
There's yes. there's literally nothing you yes. can do because there's not modern healthcare in these systems. So why, how can you say like, yeah, go ahead and give that blood. I think that works. Yes. To a 20 year old girl who had no medical training. Like, I feel like I just have to keep repeating to people. Like she never went to school to be a nurse or a doctor or a paramedic or any, yeah, nothing. Like she had no CPR and first aid training. And which is, I mean, like, which is cool to have, but like, you should get CPR very and first aid training. Yes. And it's, and it's crazy. Cause like, did she think she was just going to touch the, the person who had leprosy and cure them? Like Jesus I don't did? know, but I hope I meet her so I can <laughs> ask her just that. I, just, oh. I want to ask her myself and say a few other things. Guys, in all honesty, like if you guys are listening, and I, I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys know where I stand with like modern healthcare. I think it's there for a reason and we should use it. Um, but I don't think in any possible way, shape or form, like Olivia Lasso said, if you're not qualified or medically like allowed to treat a child in America or even the UK, please don't come to our country and treat our children because like kind of the whole form of like, Oh, the white doctor, they could treat them. You mean? And so like what people realize is like, you know, they wear that even though like you can't wear that here. How ironic too, is this, this woman, this 20 year old girl walking in, which is this white doctor's coat looking just like, I'm going to save your kid. There's just so much. I just, it was so ironic. Like this white coat walking in to save the Ugandan children from dying. And then it's like, Oh man. And I'm kind of just looking at it from like an outside Girl. perspective. I bet you a lot of these people over there believed her. I mean, why, why would they, I mean, yeah. Why, why, why wouldn't they, you mean? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, they probably have had, yes, which is yeah, also an excellent organization. Doctors without borders come in and yeah. give them proper medical treatment. And so you see this white lady with a white coat opening up this health clinic why wouldn't, why, why wouldn't you bring your kid to go get help? Yeah. So you're kind of like, okay. Yeah. yeah makes sense. And yeah. It makes complete sense. Now 105 of them die, which is 105. Out, out, like it's insane to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the stories and I'm by no means have any medical degree or training. See, I, I have CPR and first aid training and I would never <laughs> give a blood transfusion. That's as much medical training as I have. Okay. What I look up on WebMD when I'm really sick. Uh, we all so that, that too, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I should be dead by now. WebMD told me I should be dead by now. <laughs> um, but you, wait, what was I saying? I honestly forgot. I, I think <laughs> too, I, I went down the WebMD. That's how you get stuck. I know. Next thing, like, wait, what's the last thing that I said? You were talking about, um, in no means do I have a medical degree or background. I get my information from WebMD. Oh, yeah, I don't know. It, Renee Bach should not have been giving. Oh, th- this is what it was. I'm Thank sorry. You. I got Thank so, I get, here's what happened. We all do this. I get so passionate about it and then I lose my train of thought and then I start stuttering and I'm like, I'm going to explode because yeah. I'm so angry this and I just I want pol- justice. This is how I feel about politics. I know. I get so <laughs> revved up and I'm like, I am a really smart <laughs> individual and I know what I'm talking about, but I am so passionate right now that I want to throw up. That's how I feel. You just throw okay, up because you're so yeah. pissed. So what happened was like there there were these records of her having these so she initially went down with this. She opened up this nonprofit, which by the way, people just keep going to these countries in Africa, which I'm just gonna premise by saying Africa is a continent. There are many countries 
on the continent of Africa. Thank you. Because I've had so many people. How was Africa? Well, it's really big, actually. And there's a lot of countries. So I only went to three of them. So I feel like I have to reiterate that. Thank Do not you. call Africa a country. I will Thank want to punch that. you in the face. <laughs> I, just, I will look at you and be like, you are so dumb. It's like when people say, uh, oh, you're from New Mexico. Wow, you speak really good English. Uh, yes. That's, Where's your passport? That's for sure my favorite. Or one time I told someone I was going to Puerto Rico and they asked me if they had showers there. Like, this is not the Middle Ages. Okay. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> part of me is like, okay, guys, like, and this is just, I'm going to bash on New Mexico is we're shit in education. I think we're like 49th, but somehow I know all 50 states in America. So how do countries that where I go and visit, they're like, Ooh. oh my gosh, you don't know New Mexico as a country <laughs> or a state. Get so passionate on why people don't care about education in New Mexico. And it pisses me. Yeah, I'm good. That's a whole don't, different don't, podcast. don't send me down there. Uh, invite me back. I will lose it. I will invite you back. So Kate, why Get do you triggered? Th- why do you think people like, um, Rachel, is it Rachel? Oh yeah. No, Renee Bach. Renee Bach. So what, what I was saying yeah. was, um, she had all these kids. So she initially went down to provide feeding programs for malnourished kids. Mm-hmm. And even I, with no medical training whatsoever, know that if you have someone who is hungry and starving, you don't feed them just plates no. and plates of food, 100%, especially 100%. if these kids have heart condition, like, yes, no, yeah, I know that hundred percent. Yes. And so what was happening was, and he's a counselor, she was just fattening kids up with no, no monitoring and evaluation, no paperwork and just sending them home. And these kids, which is all these different conditions were dying and she'd send them some money, some cash and not explain how or why they died mainly because she probably didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question, why do people, why do we do that? Yeah. And that's, if I think about it, if I, from my own experiences and talking with people, I think we all have really, really good intentions, but we never know when to let go. And I think we all, and in our human experience, and um, I know this will piss some people off, which, you know, I enjoy, I let, I tell people all the time, I like to stir the pot, let's go. It gets people educated yeah, in different mindsets. So right, go ahead. yeah. So if you you can have the best intent, you the best intentions to go and want to help people, but there's always going to be something in the back of your head, especially as a someone from the Western world yeah. or the global north going to these global south or um, these countries. You're you want something out of it, and it feels good to post a picture with this. Kenyan kid at an orphanage on your Instagram Mm -hmm. and get 270 likes and have everyone ask you about your amazing trip. Yeah. And we get something out of it and we don't know how to let go. We don't. And we like to be the hero of the story. We really do. We want to be the hero. Of course. And, and we're doing it at the cost of what the cost of people exploiting them. We're literally exploiting people because of our own selfish need to be needed. Yeah. And it's, it's also really frustrating because believe it or not, and you can do your own self-reflection and own self-examination as I'm doing on my own and on myself all the time Mm -hmm. of like, when I see people, do I actually see people or am I so addicted to poverty porn? Wow. And that's the issue. Yeah. I never looked at it like that. Yeah. Like we, we see poverty and, and, but, but we miss that that person behind this facade of poverty or not even facade. They, they're actually in poverty. They're in yeah, poverty. Yeah. 
we don't see that this person is actually capable of getting themselves out of poverty, but because of systems that were created from colonialism mm-hmm. and neocolonialism in the in development in foreign aid, yeah. we trap them there. Wow. We trap them there and we want them dependent because if we keep them dependent, I mean, that's how yeah. <laughs> slavery. Yeah. It's control. Uh, you know? Wow. Getting all triggered. <laughs> I think, uh, I think a lot of us, I mean, I mean, I'm not for sure the percentage. I don't, I've never looked into this, but I think a lot of us would say like, we would want to help in some shape, weird form, like yeah. in that sense. Um, so I think have like good intentions, yeah, like so, their intentions are good. We want to, so we could sit here at, you know, 717 Lafayette street in my room recording sure this podcast. you want to put your address <laughs> yeah, <it's> <laughs> Recording my podcast and saying how bad this is or how bad it is to do this kind of stuff. But, um, how do people like genuinely help? And I'm talking not like the post on Instagram for likes help, but like how do people like who really have a good heart and intentionally want to help these kind of situations? What yeah. is a good way to go about that? I think if you genuinely want to help people, you have to actually sit down and ask the question and also be able to answer it. Am I really helping? Mm -hmm. Are my intentions to actually help and be ethical? Or am I someone who's fighting for sustainability? Am I, am I someone who's making decisions for equality? And, um, if you really actually sit down and dissect your decisions, you're going to find out that a lot of them don't lead to those things. Yeah. And, um, I think if you want to not be a white savior and if you don't want to cause more harm than good, Mm -hmm. then you need to be okay with not going to these far off countries to go, 10 days to go build a house, which you're probably not even trained to do and yeah. be okay staying within the borders of the United States and helping the very same people in your community. Because if you're not willing to help the people in your community, don't go to Kenya. Don't go to Uganda. Don't go to Peru. Don't go to Guatemala. If, if you don't have that willingness and honestly, like let's be real. The evangelical church has not done a good job at setting up people well to do missions and ministry. Well, yep. And we, we are fed this idea that in order for us to avoid guilt and shame and for us to be better Christians, insert quotation marks, we have to go do these mission trips and these missions. But I'm finding that a lot of people that I encounter in that world are the very same people who want to go and tell the good news in these far off countries. But when those same people that you told that good news to come to your country as refugees, you don't want to let them in. And that's, I think that's an example of white saviorism. Like I want to go be your white savior, but don't you dare come encroach on my safe space. Preach it. Preach it. What does the, what does the crowd think? No, no, wrong one. Wrong one. I hope they're not laughing. There it is. That's the (laughs) laughing at poverty and (laughs) thank you. I love this. I love this kind of stuff. Because you know what? Because that's like such a huge problem with just like, like even like with politics, like, yeah, like I think a lot of us could agree like with like who we think should be like about like we care so much about the presidential election. I know we're kind of going into a different thing, but like no, back to the go. Community, it's all tied which, together. Which if is you don't fine. talk about it. It's it's yeah. all inter it's all holistic. It's like, a it's a hundred percent fine to be like so passionate about that kind of election. But what people what kind of like gets me kind of triggered is that like those same people aren't passionate about the local like elections that will honestly probably affect us more 
yeah than that and so like even like stuff like that like like you said if you're not willing to help people on like in your own community like don't go to these countries to help no, these people don't they don't we they don't need you they don't need us mm-hmm. they we really don't need to be going ill-equipped not trained yep, yep. to go do what build houses and teach we would if people from another country came to the United States and had no training in any states we sent. So we see this a lot in missions mm-hmm. and I went and I'm owning this as someone who went and did this as a 16 year old. I went and built houses in another country on a mission trip. If a 16 year old from another country came into the United States and built a house for a quote unquote needy family, people, what? Yeah. Why we we wouldn't allow that in our own country? So why would we go and do that to others? And it's it's hard. Like course, being in Kenya was embarrassed. Like as a white person, I was very embarrassed in Kenya, and I felt a lot of shame. And no one brought that shame upon me but my own self. Yeah. Because here I was in the sea of beautiful, passionate Kenyans who are so passionate about seeing their country succeed and do well because they love Kenya because they're Kenyan. Yeah. And I was sitting there and I'm like, they are so passionate about doing this work of reintegration well. So that's the context of why I was there in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And I shared with one of my friends who's Kenyan. And I was like, I have to be honest with you. Like being a white young woman sitting here, I feel a lot of shame and guilt. But that's from histories of white people yeah. colonizing, neocolonizing the continent of Africa. And I'm carrying that today. And I should be carrying that. But also this person in response said to me, and this shook me, she said, Kate, white people come to Kenya and Africa with two things. The first thing they come with is either a gun or a sword because they want to kill and silence us or they come with a Bible to deceive us. Mm. And I sat there and I was like, wow, well, if I got to go home, yeah, I got to go home. And it's true. It's really, really true. Wow. Um, that was deep. That yeah, was, I that know. Was Woof, right? Yeah. Half of a Moscow mule. <laughs> Half of the Moscow mules going down and kind of loosening up a little bit. Um, okay, so guys, with the whoever you guys are listeners. So sometimes with episodes like this, you know, a little bowl, a little bore ah, let me backtrack. Okay, sometimes with episodes like this, I like to include facts. Um, sometimes like like content and context of like what we're talking about. I just want to speak a little bit from the truth. Um, so I'm kind of just going a little tangent tang- it here. So it leads, um, sorry, white savior complex. It leads to approaches and methodologies rooted in patronizing charity rather than biblical justice. It prevents mission aid and development work from being dialogical and patri- or yeah, dialogical. The so-called experts swoop in with their answers and expertise and fail to include the voices of local leaders organizations and stakeholders it leads to uh paternalism i'm not sure if i said that right doing things Mm -hmm. to or for others rather than seeking to empower and build local capacity it makes us into heroes rather than empowering others to become the heroes of their own stories Mm -hmm. it robs agencies from the economically poor and contributes to a shame-based identity and sense of helplessness it leads to doing things in other contexts that we never imagined doing in the U.S. or Europe. Imagine if 12 of us got on a plane and flew to Stockholm or D- Dublin, Dublin, 
And when we arrived, we found <laughs> all the cutest little children, other people's children. And we began picking them up and taking selfies and posting them on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Sounds pretty strange, right? So why do we do it there? It um, perpetuates poverty porn, like you said earlier. Yeah. Images of the poor seen in many fundraising campaigns, which objectify human beings for the sake of electing an emotional response in order to garner a donation. It, lab- it labels them as powerless victims who can't help themselves, um, implicitly naming God's image bearers as incapable objects who are passively awaiting rescue. We must stop trying to medicate the symptoms of the white savior and look at the deeper disease. It's one thing to realize it's not ethical to use poverty porn or post selfies with children who have no relationship with. It's another thing entirely to reflect on the colonial colonial roots of white Western Christian supremacy. That means doing some hard inner work. If we're white people, it means working to change the narratives that sustain injustice. These facts are from so journals. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of all I had on the script. Um, Kate, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah. Um, if you want to donate money, do your research because I totally support donation. It's like, don't if you ha- if you make money, you should be donating it to things that matter. Mm-hmm. But do your research on where you're donating. Yeah. Where is it going to? Is it going to supporting on the ground work or is it supporting high up people who are making 700 times more than the actual people doing <sighs> doing the work on the ground? You do your research. Yeah. Don't just hand out money. You can be passionate and your heart can break for things, mm-hmm. but don't do it at the co- don't sp- spread the message or send the message of caring for things at the cost of other people or exploiting them. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for being on Kate. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for flying down to Seattle for this podcast. I'm just kidding. I'm pretty sure you were just in town hanging out. No, I flew down just for this. And we linked up. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, So yeah, I like like always to include things that are going to be happening in um, this city of Albuquerque in the, um, in the springtime. Um, So, Always a good time to go hit up Old Town Albuquerque. It's free. You're going to see the sightseeing of kind of the new Mexican history in that general area. Um, the ABQ Biopark always has a lot going on in the months of February, March, and April. And yeah, if you want to go look at like some little more history regarding the church, go visit the San Felipe de Neri Church in Albuquerque and Old Town. Um, you can walk in, sit down, do your whole thing. And it's pretty sweet. Um, but as always, friends and family listening, I want to encourage you guys or remind you guys to support your friends and family who are doing really cool stuff. And this is Kate Calhoun. Um, sorry for calling you Kate and Meta. Cody, yeah, don't hate me. Both. They're both me. <laughs> I'm is, not going to get mad. Cody might, not me. <laughs> this is Kate Calhoun signing off with the People's Cup. All right. Bye, guys. And as always, this is Ray signing off with the People's Cup. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day, week, month, and year. Peace out.